Here's a question for you. How do you extend a finite resource? Some cattle producers will tell you that they're not growing beef, they're growing grass. But that grass has limits. Eventually, it goes to seed. And in Alberta, it goes dormant because of the cold. During a drought, this finite resource is even more limited because you don't have the moisture to get the growth you'd expect, that growth your ranch is counting on. There are management practices that you can use to extend the growing season so you don't have to feed bales earlier or longer than makes financial sense for your ranch. I'm Derek Leahy, and in this episode of Rural Roots to Climate Solutions, we're talking stockpile grazing. Welcome back to the Rural Roots to Climate Solutions podcast series, Getting Through Drought. The series looks at the best management practices cow-calf operators in Alberta can use to build up their ranch's resiliency against drought. The hope of the series is by creating better understanding on how to implement these BMPs and why these BMPs are effective against drought, Alberta's cow-calf producers will have a better shot of getting through the next drought, staying in business, and just generally living happy and healthy lives. For most of you listening to this right now, I don't really need to tell you how stressful a drought can be for a producer. In this episode, we're looking at stockpile grazing and all the different forms that can take. We'll be talking to Ben Stewart, who runs two farming operations, one in Saskatchewan and the other one in Hardesty, Alberta, about how they use stockpile grazing to extend the grazing season on their farms. Stockpile grazing may not be the first BMP that comes to mind when we're talking about drought. If the grass isn't growing, what the heck is there to stockpile, right? Admittedly, this BMP probably falls more in the category of what you can do in preparation for a drought as opposed to what you can do when you're in a drought. That being said, we all know how damn expensive hay and other types of feed can get in a dry year. So if you can find ways to stockpile what little forage you have during a drought, the blow to your pocketbook will be a little less severe. Here's Ben introducing himself and his farming operations. Oh, and you might notice the person asking Ben the questions doesn't sound anything like me. It's because it's not me. Cheyenne Younger of our Regenerative Agriculture Lab, a very cool project, by the way, did the interview for this one. She did a great job, too. Okay, so I'm Ben Stewart. Um, we have two operations, one in Hardesty, Alberta, and one near Yorkton, Saskatchewan. Currently at the it's Saskatchewan farm right now. And uh, yeah, we're running two very similar, uh, similar operations at, at both locations. You want to tell us a little bit about, about how your operations look? Are they cow-calf? Are they grain? Are they mixed? So we're, we're mixed operations over the past, well, over the past number of years, you know, we were, we were more cattle dominated and we, uh, you know, we're changing things now We're we're sort of moving more towards grain or, or having grain, I guess, as a higher component of the mix. So what we're really trying to do is find that balance between grain and cattle where, you know, we get the synergies of both the cattle the cattle market is certainly tough being a cattle only operation or, or a high ratio of cattle you know it, it has been tough from a financial perspective but the cattle we see as a really valuable tool 
And so, you know, we will always have cattle. We see the value that they have other than just uh, the financial financial side of it from a year-to-year basis. You know, they're, they're a valuable tool in the, in the whole soil health and regenerative farming aspect. And they do create benefits for the cropping system. So that's where we're really, uh, that's where we're really focusing on getting that synergy right between the the number of cattle, the grain acres we have, and really getting the the best out of uh, the best out of both, making them work together. And right here, Ben talks about some of the environmental factors he has to work with. It's it's kind of interesting between the two farms. Uh, you know, at Hardesty there, we're we're a lower, uh, it's a, definitely a drier climate. We're in that sort of that eight to 10 is, is kind of a good year. Um, you know, we've had higher 14, 15, but you know, we probably average around that eight to 10 inches of, of precipitation in the growing season. And then the, our, our ranch in Saskatchewan, you know, we would be typically in that 15 to 20. So definitely a higher precipitation out there. And that was definitely one of the reasons for, for looking at that far afield is to is to be in a higher precipitation area for what we're doing it's just kind of a nice situation to to get a little more moisture and saying that that was four years ago that we set up the ranch out here and and we went through three of the driest years on record when we started out here so and and hardesty actually was getting a lot more moisture so it, it was kind of it was flipped upside down a little bit so we were sort of we were scrambling there for a bit to uh to try and you know just make things work and and uh and kind of get ahead so we, we were sort of hand to mouth for the first three years and then finally this last year 2022 we we got some uh, we got some good moisture out east and and that was uh that was certainly welcome after three years of dry and what types of soils are you working out in both of your locations ben? uh we're more of a we're sort of more in the black soil zone here and Saskatchewan and then Hardesty where it kind of varies but we're in that brown uh, more of that brown soil zone you know we've got more there's more um sandy type soils in Alberta a little bit more rolling uh a little bit more rolling hills and varied elevation across the land so yeah it's it's definitely quite mixed one thing we we really notice in uh at Hardesty there compared to out east when you get the moisture there which which doesn't always come, but when you get it, it does hold on within those soils well. You know, you notice that you've had rain a few weeks later, whereas we're probably a bit more free draining out here. So you we get more rain, but you need more rain more more often as well. And and so when you don't when you don't get it here, you, you certainly notice it. Uh, you certainly notice it notice it a lot more. Up next, Ben goes over the different management practices that, in his view fall into stockpile grazing yeah so so stockpile stockpile foraging i guess is a it's pretty broad it covers a few different things for me you know i guess stockpiling uh stockpiling anything is is certainly you know beneficial and, and it's a it's a you know it's it's a big part of our system so originally just a bit of my background originally i'm from new zealand and, and i moved here in 2008 and so my background was was in forage based systems grazing systems um you know year-round grazing so when i came uh, when i came to canada i mean the the, the biggest thing that we were, were looking at was just extending that grazing season to go from a between 90 to 120 days was kind of the average well that was only a third of the uh, basically a third of the year so 
I definitely wanted to see if there were some opportunities to extend that and, and potentially take that year out. But initially, it was just about extending that growing season. So it's really important then to, um, you know, you need to have stockpiled forage and, and feed to, to get through the winter because we only grow feed for a certain amount of time. So it was a matter of looking at what different systems there were. Extending the grazing season was the first obvious one. So implementing rotational grazing, managing those pastures so we could carry good quality feed into the early part of the uh, early part of the winter and, and through the winter and, and then you know if we got too much snow, we would carry that feed would be then a valuable resource to have in the springtime. So the grazing one was the first one that we that you know the, the first obvious one for me, um, not having dealt with Canadian winters before. And then it was a matter of, okay, what can we, you know, we, we need a feed reserve or a feed source to cover us for the winter time. You know, what tools do we have? And, and swath grazing was one that we really took on. And, and that was that was a new one to me, but not a, not a new one to, to Canada. But we took that on and that was, you know, we, we started implementing different uh, different species in that mix and, and things that we thought would, would work and, and basically broadening our mix from a from an oat barley mix to to various other species and and that was um you know i was pretty impressed with that how that system worked because there's there's not many places in the world that you can grow something in the summertime windrow it swath it under the snow and have it kept in uh in basically the same condition it was at the time it was cut for for six months so so that that was pretty that was pretty unique. You certainly couldn't do that in New Zealand. It would be rotted in you know in a few weeks with the with the moisture and humidity and you know everything's still growing underneath it too. So so that's a real it's uh, a real advantage. And and the fact that when we're grazing that the the negative impacts of um, you know high density grazing that that you can have in other environments like New Zealand where you know you're pugging the soil. In, in wetter climates, you know, we don't have those impacts. So, um, you know, the ground's frozen solid. The utilization of that crop is is really good. So, I was that that was that was really interesting to um to me to see that, and and we really um we really utilized that as a big part of our system, um, especially uh, especially at Hardesty. There, I mean, it, it, it works really well. We don't get, I wouldn't say, excessive snowfall. Um, that we can't get to those swaths. We, um, you know, we we really evolved that system over the last ten years from a from an oat barley kind of standard mixture that a lot of other people were using at the time to um, looking at what other species we could use from forage brassicas to um, you know to turnips to different legumes and clovers and, and things. So, and, and that's worked um, that's worked really well. know there's hay and there's silence so i mean bale grazing was a was another one to extend that system and uh you know stockpiling that feed and, and i think bale grazing works really good it's great for the land you know you can import those nutrients to areas that maybe need to be um reclaimed or or you know looked after and and, and soils that need to be built up and brought back to life you know that's another one that we wouldn't be able to use in, in you know various other warmer climates or wetter climates anyway quite quite as well because of the utilization of, of that feed and then silage being another uh silage being another one 
one system that we use, you know, majority for of the time now for feeding out our silage is through uh, self-feeding silage pits. So we'll we'll make a silage pit out in a you know in a in a field somewhere where we want that manure to be redeposited, and we feed off the face of that pit just with an electric wire, and the cows um the cows just graze over and above that wire, and and we just push that in on a daily basis, and and that saves our um saves our fuel and labor expenses and time and then we can you know we can use that in conjunction with some of the spot grazing and bale grazing the nice thing about having silage and and what that's allowed us to do is it we can carry it over from from year to year and it's a really good it's been really good insurance for us and knowing that we've got that in our back pocket as that insurance has actually allowed us to expand onto some of these other you know extended grazing things the swath grazing we've really been able to sort of take a leap forward with that knowing that we've got the silage sort of in our back pocket as insurance and and so then we feel a lot more comfortable putting in more acres of swath grazing and and more acres you know doing more bale grazing and, and extended grazing knowing that we've we've got that in our back pocket so that was probably one of the one of the important things to get set up and and moving forward into the extended grazing was was having that insurance that we could we could take the risk out of swath grazing and you know a lot of people would say oh we can't swath graze in our area because we get too much snow and and and, you know what are you going to do when you get too much snow and you can't swath graze it's like well we're gonna you know we're gonna feed silage because we've got that in our back pocket or we've got some extra bales and then you know it just allowed us to expand those acres and get more comfortable with with that system so i think we'll we always want to make sure we've got that in our back pocket we got caught out a little bit last year with um you know with the with the drought especially in Saskatchewan where we were going just from year to year and we weren't able to build up that feed inventory you know we didn't have a lot of feed going into the winter and we we didn't have as much silage put up we did have some swath grazing set up we got a little caught out there we were able to utilize that swath grazing but in in hindsight we probably should have stockpiled that feed in a, in a different way um, just because of the way the winter went we had we had extra snow and it was cold and and all that so hindsight's great so i mean when i look back and and knowing that we didn't have quite the feed reserve we would have probably silaged that or bailed that and so that was a that was a good learning experience but we we still utilized that feed it wasn't wasted we we still kept the animals out there we just supplemented them a little bit extra and then in the early part of spring you know we were grazing it at that time so we were just able to basically defer that grazing to a different part of the year so it, for us it's never been a complete waste and then that's trying what i try and tell people too when they you know they kind of worry about almost over worry about things a little bit a little bit too much i think and you've just got to know that you just sort of take a step back and look at the system and it and it, it's it's never been a it's never been a waste because you know we all know the snow disappears and then the feed is available under there and, and uh, you know, we, we utilize it at that time. So it's the same with our extended grazing on our grass. When we first started grazing, it was like, man, we, we, this is the year it's growing. We need to utilize everything. Otherwise, it's wasted. And, and so, you know, we would graze things down looking at this and we're thinking, man, we, we gotta, we'd leave some cover. It's, it's, better for the, it's better for the pastures and the alfalfas and the clovers to go into winter with some, with some root reserves and, and, you know, being able to photosynthesize as long as they can. And, and we utilize that, that feed in the spring and, and clean it off before the, before the new growth comes. And, and that's been a, you know, it's been, it was a big, uh, it's been a big game changer for the longevity of our pastures, and and it fits with the 
with the with the health of our animals we can get them out there earlier we carve in may june so they're carving on either some carryover grass from the year before there's a few different systems have have worked out have worked out well and then the other one is the, the cover crops growing something in the spring to graze you know in the autumn time and that's also really helped our pastures because we've been able to pull these cattle off pasture earlier in the year not all of them but but a significant number pull them off destock them uh, those pasture areas start grazing those cover crops and we can you know we can grow a lot more feed per acre on some of these annual cover crops that we can you know and we can and we can keep the feed quality at that later part of the season when the feed quality starts to diminish on our pastures and we can let those pastures rejuvenate a bit before the winter build up some reserves and then uh, and our cattle are being fed better because they're going on to these cover crops which are which are high nutrition then we stretch that out into the winter so for us it's just been about juggling things around and, and kind of reshaping that puzzle as to where we can grow feed what type of feed we can grow at any point of the year and just aligning that up with the seasons and with the with the demands of the of the animals at this point in the interview ben talks about drought tolerance with monocultures versus mixed crops you're not going to grow anything if it doesn't rain. It doesn't matter what you put in, you're not going to have a great crop. And so, you know, we've had instances where, where we've grown something and, you know, it, it hasn't grown well and it's like, well, you know, you, you can't write that off because it didn't rain. Or I've had other people that have tried some of the, the brassicas, for instance, so, oh, that doesn't grow in our area. And it's like, well, maybe, maybe, maybe it doesn't. I'm not saying it doesn't, but then, you know, how did your oats go in that year? It was horrible and we grew 20 bushels of oats and it's like, well, okay. So it's maybe not just the species, it's the uh, it's the fact that you didn't have any rain, that uh, that it didn't work. So that's where we've found the diversity has, you know, has, has worked, um, you know, worked so much better. And, and, you know, and that's the same with our pasture blends. You know, we, we have a, a high legume base in our pasture. We have a lot of grow a lot of alfalfa we graze a lot of alfalfa it's it's part of a blend some of those years that alfalfa is really uh is really dominant it's about that drought mitigation and that soil health and uh growing the the highest quality feed that we can uh with the seasons that we've got there's very few places in new Zealand that can grow good alfalfa and so i wasn't used to grazing and growing alfalfa when i when I came here but then you know you see it growing in the ditches and on the railway tracks and things like that and it's like man this is a pretty good uh, this is a pretty good species so you know we've got to figure out the best way to graze it and include it in our blends because um it grows twice as much as as uh you know your, your brome grasses and things and the feed value is twice as good and the uh and the animals perform twice as good on it under the right grazing conditions when it comes to drought i, I guess i always come back to that diversity um of of species that can uh you know that can handle those those dry conditions and that was really one that worked really well in the drier climate and in the hardest uh area there and and the you know the free draining soils that's where alfalfa really grows well and those roots can those roots can get down uh deep and that, and that's the other thing too when we're talking about diversity it's it's not just the diversity of the of the plants themselves above ground it's the diversity of those root systems below ground that you, you know that you don't actually see you've got you know you've got some shallow rooted plants i mean your grasses grass species are going to be quite shallow rooted and then you've got your legumes and and 
or tap rooted tap rooted plants for instance you know they're going to go down a lot deeper they're going to utilize that soil profile better they're going to bring up nutrients and minerals and uh and they're going to help with that uh, with that water cycle there's a lot to all this we've been, you know we've been doing it for i, I guess a while it feels like a while but there's, there's just so much more that we need to uh you know that, that we can learn and, and, and figure out so uh, that's what keeps it interesting i guess Here, Ben gets into when to start stockpiling your forage and how to use rotational grazing to build up that stockpile. I mean, the, the best time to start working on your drought strategy is probably right now. The, the best time to work on your drought strategy is not in the middle of a drought. You want to, uh, you know, because then you're just forced to react to whatever circumstances there are. You know, you're either buying high priced feed because uh, in a drought, feed is going to go through the roof. I mean, that's a that's a given. It's just a, it's supply and demand. You're you're then either going to be forced to sell cattle in, in a in a lower market. There's not many higher markets in a in a drought case situation when when everyone's in the same boat. It's a little different when it's just regional pockets of drought, but when it's when it's widespread like 2021 then uh you know you're all you're all in the same boat that's the, that's the time that you want to have a good feed reserve and you know you want to be uh you want to be buying cattle when the market's uh, when the market's low and, and have that feed to get them through you're always going to make a lot better decisions when you've got feed on hand and and that's not just through your own cattle it's from a marketing from a marketing standpoint not just a straight up feeding the animals that you've got standpoint too coming up with a plan no better time to start than now and, and there's no better time to start than when you're not in a drought. So when you've got excess feed, start putting some, you know, start stockpiling some, start putting some away or, or pushing it forward into the next season. You know, you don't need to be two or three years ahead necessarily. You know, you want to be a couple, I guess. And, and you know, it's not like you need to have a whole year's worth of feed. You know, it's got a, it kind of comes down to economics as well. It's not always, you're not, not always able to carry one or two years of feed as a buffer because you've got to turn that into dollars at some point as well and since it's going to be a little different another thing that we have to manage through drought is we carry a certain number of, of what we call trading trading cattle so that'd be yearlings that are going to grass some older cattle that we can easily sell and we can easily shift whereas you know if we were all cow calf are a little harder to move you know to gather to round up to you know even just to even just to market and and there's probably less people that are interested in buying extra cow calf in a drought whereas there's probably more options for moving yearlings and and older cattle that that are you know easy to easy to gather up easy to get on trucks easy to ship out they could go south to the states they can go to various feedlots that you know there's more options so so we have a <coughs> we definitely have a component of of trading stock that can be upped and, and moved easily to help mitigate that if we get into a, you know if we get into that situation and then stockpiling that feed you know we will keep that excess silage we'll, we'll keep some extra straw we'll keep some you know we we try anyway and and you know a prime example of, of being behind the eight ball was when we moved out to Saskatchewan and, and we um we were hand to mouth for three years we thought we'd built up enough and then we'd you know we'd mow it all down and come springtime we didn't have any left and and uh, you know we basically did that for three years just because we didn't have great growing seasons to grow the crops that we anticipated to build up that feed reserve and finally this year we, we we've been able to do that so yeah it was it was always our plan and, and it is always our plan to carry that feed 
have uh, you know, call it six months worth of feed to carry through at least for our our cow calf to keep our capital stock our, our cows in the system because we can we can sell some of our, our trading cattle at, at, at kind of any time if it gets uh, if it gets tight so if the the year that you start happens to be in that drought situation i mean that it's still the best time to start if that's when uh, if that's when it is it's obviously going to be a lot harder to build up feed reserves in a in a drought situation that's where managing and utilizing that feed that you've got really comes into comes into play you've got a limited resource you want to make sure that you're managing it well to stretch it out and that and that's again where the rotational grazing comes in you, you we're effectively manipulating those plants to grow more through rotational grazing we can actually grow more grass by keeping it in a vegetative state and rotational grazing and that's one thing that that is it's kind of it's sometimes a little hard to get your head around a lot of people sort of think well they you know we're going to grow an x amount of grass whether we continuously graze it whether we rotationally graze it we're going to grow the same amount and and that's and that's not true we will actually grow more pounds of dry matter when we rotationally graze and manage that grass than we would ever do if we were set stocking you know from the outside in if you don't understand that and you look at some of our fields and some of our fences and we're out there continuously moving cattle from field to field and setting up fences that if you don't understand it i guess it doesn't make any sense why, why are they moving their cattle when they could just not move them and have them out there well there's a there's a reason we do it and that reason is to keep that quality and to grow more feed if you do one cut of hay and you let your hay grow throughout the year and cut it closer to the autumn time you're only going to get that one cut and your growth is going to be limited but if you cut your hay at the right time you're going to grow probably three times two to three times as many bales on that land if you get your timing of cuts right and that's just one example it's no different with grazing and that's what we're trying to do we're trying to manipulate that grass to 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 keep growing and uh and and grow more since this podcast series is a direct result of the drought and extreme heat of 2021 we asked ben if there was anything from that growing season he wanted to share with us you know i'd I'd definitely like to look at things as a learning experience and the the biggest negative was probably our conception rates were uh, our conception rates were definitely down that was understandable we you know we were we spent a lot of the time getting water sorted out we had water dugouts that were going dry we were you know we were having to set up water systems and and things like that where in areas that we you know we never thought we would have to do that there was this management i guess the positives of a higher conception rate were the fact that we got rid of a bunch of cows that that were the ones that couldn't conceive in that system and i'd like to think our herd going forward is uh it's, it's going to be a whole lot more resilient and and, uh, and we've weeded out those uh, those ones that just couldn't uh, couldn't handle it so i mean that's definitely you know going forward the long term i mean that's uh, I, I see that as a pretty big uh, pretty big pretty big positive there wasn't any real negatives but there was definitely some uh, there was it was definitely it was more challenging there was more to do more to monitor more to see more things to try and figure out and and you know the 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 feed situation and you know there was definitely a bit more stress but on on you know what are we going to do but it wasn't you know we, we couldn't control we couldn't control it so we so we managed what we could control you know we definitely moved and rotated cattle more often than we would have and, and that actually we did get moisture at the later part and because of our rota- rotation grazing again we were able to utilize that moisture and we kept those plants in good healthy growing standpoint so when it did 
rain at the end even though it was a for a short period of time we uh, threw a lot of really good quality feed in the uh, in the autumn time that we were able to utilize it that at that later part of the year you know some of the some of the things that we've found in, in these drought situations too is our, our cattle like our gains on our on our younger and our, our yearling cattle we're actually able to obtain some some pretty good um some pretty good gains because we keep that pasture and and you know, it, it doesn't get away, it doesn't get rank, it doesn't go to seed on us. So the nutritional content of those pastures are actually are actually typically higher in a drier year when you can't manage them as opposed to years when we just grow a lot of lush feed and we, you know, we can't keep that quality in that feed. Gains are, are typically higher that, you know, the cattle are in a, a drier, I guess, environment, which is actually better than a than a continuously wet environment. So yeah, and, and again, we can you know we can we can move those cattle and ship them at at, at the appropriate time without just mowing our grasses. In that year, we, we offloaded some of those yearlings, and we made an early decision to offload some of them. Uh, you know, basically half of them we got rid of, and in, in it was about July time, and then sort of that August September, we actually got some rain, and by being able to destock early. And, and with enough to stretch those cattle, the rest of the cattle out, and then you know basically wait for that rain to come. And then it did come, and, and we had great pastures at the end of the year to finish those yearlings on and, and capitalize on some of those good you know those good gains. We I guess we weren't forced into making sort of rash decisions because we did have a bit of a plan and we were able to move some cattle and, and destock uh, you know a, a little earlier. So one of the cool things about a podcast is that people can be listening to them months or years from now. Let's say there's a prairie producer listening to this podcast a few years from now. What would you say, any words of advice or any encouragement? You know, if they're finding themselves in the drought, do you have any encouragement or advice that, that you could share? Make a decision. The worst, thing you, the worst thing you do is make no decision when you're in a, in a drought situation. And by being able to make a decision, you need to have a, you need to have a plan. And, and sometimes that can be a little tough when you've got you know, you, you're stressed out from various other things, and, and you've just got to you you've got to take off. You got to unload some of that stress, I guess. And, and feed situation being can be being a big one. So making a decision early is definitely better than being forced to make a decision. You know, when you've got no other when you've got no other choice. And then you know, really, I guess, really look at your really look at your system and utilize that as a as a as a learning uh, as a learning opportunity and get the most out of it because if you're going to stay in the if you're going to stay in the business it, it's it's going to be cyclical so that you know we're going to be in these situations again if you don't make a change don't expect a different result next time it comes you've just you've got to make a change and and the the first loss is often the best take the first loss initially to to kind of regroup and, and restructure and, and instead of try to drag things out and, and and think that you're gonna you know think that you're gonna be able to claw your way out of it and then all of a sudden that hole just gets deeper and that becomes a lot harder to um, that becomes a lot harder to get out of uh, understanding what you can grow and what you can manage on your farm is, is uh, pretty important and you know as the season progresses we get later into the season the, the our pasture growth rates and 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 our forage growth rates are, are gonna start declining we know that it's gonna sit winter is going to come it's going things are going to stop growing we we know that so you know we can actually budget on how much feed we think we're going to grow how much you know to to make some of those decisions a little bit earlier 
you know, winter seems to always come at a surprise, you know, and it, and, it, and it still does for me from time to time. You kind of get caught up and oh, things are doing good and then bang, here it is. It's like, ah, we're a little bit behind where we uh, where we thought we would. But, you know, at the end of the day, we shouldn't really be surprised by it. When we have good autumns, make the most of those opportunities to um, to extend that grazing. And, and one thing that we've done is, is grazing stubble. And, and we've got a lot of neighbours and things on board too where we're grazing their stubble later in the uh, later in the season. And, and that's actually worked out really good for extended grazing. Typically on the average is basically 20 acres of slough and edge and things that don't get farmed that, that, that grow feed that can be utilised. So when we have a good autumn, we're able to extend that grazing. I mean, you know, we do, and, and especially when it's especially when it's stubble grazing because that's kind of a given there it's not one that is just gonna you know it's, that's certainly not one that you can really utilize in spring when guys are seeding their crops but it, when you don't have a lot of snow you have an open uh, you have an open autumn you can capture those days i mean they're, they're, they're kind of given and you can save your your three dollar a day hay and you know hopefully work out an arrangement with a neighbor or on your own crops that is not costing you the same and that has worked really well i mean we've grazed stubble into into january there's been times we've been tempted to kick them back out there later on too after we brought them uh, close to home and started feeding and, and uh, just to capitalise on some of those extra days. And, and that's what it takes is, is so small uh, so small gains that you can get that really add up. You get an extra 20, 30 days grazing. I mean, that, that's huge and it doesn't might not sound like a lot, but that's a, that's a big number in, in our grazing system. And, and that's where, you know, a lot of people say, well, you know, swath grazing doesn't work. We get too much snow. We, um, we have too many issues. And it's like, well, you don't have to swath graze all winter. You can swath graze. You can put a month of swath grazing in to extend your grazing or, or cover crops and leave them standing and extend your grazing until into November, December time. That's a pretty big win. You know, there's not a lot of margin in the uh, in the cattle business. Thirty days of extra grazing might be your margin right there. Talking like a hundred dollars a head, which is pretty low. I mean, that's thirty days at, at three dollars a day. Hey, then uh, there's your there's your hundred bucks right there. So yeah, maybe if you're already doing a hundred, well, you push that to two hundred. I mean, you've just doubled your uh, income from your cows right there. That goes straight to the bottom line. So it, there's there's lots of there's lots of little things, um, and, and that's how we started, was trying little things and seeing if they worked. It started with just extending the grazing season, keeping the cattle uh, that we had at the time out of the feedlots for, for as long as we could extend that season. Basically, September, October, November time is the best time to put weight on cattle. The water's not frozen um, as long as we've got good quality feed in front of them. The days are cooling off. The days are getting a little shorter. You don't have the heat stress everything kind of lines up. So if we can have stockpiled feed for that time of year, that's when we actually need it. And that's when we'll get the gains on uh, on, on animals, whether they be yearlings that are about to go into a feedlot or whether they be, you know, just our cow-calf operation, feeding those calves, those cows milking properly at that time of the year, getting weight on animals. Typically, September, October, November, that's when the grass is done. That's when cattle end up heading into feedlots typically and that's why the feedlots get the good gains at that time of year as well and, and back on the ranch we're, we're kind of we're missing we're missing that opportunity if we don't have uh, if we don't have the feed in when we're only grazing for 
typically you know 90 to 100 days there's a period of transition when those cattle go out that they get adjusted to they've got to get adjusted to the grass and and their rumens have got to adjust and then and then if we don't manage that grass well the grass goes rank and and they don't put on the pounds and then we look at the system and we say well grass doesn't work for putting weight on cattle it's more expensive we don't get the gains we don't get that but it's not actually the grass's fault it's the uh, it's the system that needs to be looked at. We can grow better quality feed. You look at the alfalfa in, in the in the high twenties for protein and, and uh, high energy levels and, and stuff. We we can uh, we can grow the feed. A lot of that feed is harvested and then refed to them. You can't actually increase the quality of feed by harvesting it and then refeeding it. So the best time to get that quality is actually when it's growing in the ground, and that's when the management of that comes in and, and that it's the challenge of it and i guess that's what i uh that's kind of what i enjoy that's a bit of a moving it's a bit of a moving target if it was anything different and straightforward it'd be pretty boring and they uh I, I probably wouldn't want to do it i'm, I'm not sort of into that repetitive system and, and that's probably why i'm not uh why i'm not working in a uh working in a feedlot too it's just a different system we hope you enjoyed our 10th installment of the getting through drought series We've got two more episodes left for this series, and we hope to have them out there soon. If you want to learn more about grazing management, we recommend downloading and listening to episodes 24 and 40. Honestly, most of the episodes we've done for this series are also a useful resource on grazing management, since this series is all for you, the cow-calf producer in Alberta. Rural Roots to Climate Solutions is an Alberta-based initiative empowering agriculture producers and the communities they live in with climate solutions. Rural Roots runs workshops, farm field days, webinars, and the Regenerative Agriculture Lab, produces a farmer's blog, works with rural communities to develop their own renewable energy projects, and of course, we do this podcast. For more information about us and what we do, go to the website, which is www.rr2cs.ca. The rest of the amazing and talented Rural Roots to Climate Solutions team is Marie Galanka, Shiana Younger, and Kristen Mountain. The podcast is funded by a variety of Alberta-based funders, and the Getting Through Drought series is largely funded by results-driven agriculture research, or RDAR. This episode was done in partnership with Young Agrarians. My parts of this episode were recorded in Calgary. So that means they were recorded on Treaty 7 lands and in the Métis Nation of Alberta Region 3. Happy farming wherever you are in Alberta. And remember, what's good for the climate is good for the farm.